Browns Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Guys, look, I appreciate you all understanding uh, Locked On Browns headquarters here, where I'm at. We had some issues last week, no running water in the house. And look, guys, hey, everybody can make do as a guy, sure, whatever. It's kind of like camping. I live with three women. It doesn't work that way, guys. Everybody's freaking the heck out. Everything's up and running. We're here. We're back in business 10 days away, NFL Draft, April 26th. Uh, so I did you guys a favor. I brought you back a banger guest here for the fact that I could, you know, miss a little time with you guys. So joining us here this evening, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, part of Football Guys. Uh, there's a rumor and a good story here. We won't get that to the night about a former stowaway. But, guys, Matt Waldman's joining us here this evening. Matt, how are you holding up? Ten days to go. Uh, the monotony at this point is just insane. I think this happens with a quarterback-heavy draft. How's everything going, buddy? Man, it's going great. And it's just, you know, at this point, it's kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And that's kind of what I'm doing. Yeah, and that's the thing with each passing day, and you know, there's a big, you know, and Daniel Jeremiah stuck one to me today because last week he, you know, threw out the, you know, that the Josh Allen was still very much in it for Cleveland. Then he came today with all this, and so I threw on path to the draft, and it was just basically, you know, replicating the tweets that basically right now it's just absolute madness. This is here we are. This is where we are, guys. Look, uh, you know, a lot of people will tell you listen to everything, you know, believe a tenth of it, that type of thing. But, Matt, uh, the Josh Allen stuff doesn't seem to be going away for Cleveland. And I understand when you look at it, a guy like him in the absolute ceiling, which it, it, it's, it's a great thing for him to reach that. It's a great effort for him to reach that type of ceiling. But uh, why is he maybe still in this conversation for Cleveland? I think it just comes down to the fact that you look at John Dorsey and you see where he comes from. And you see the ownership and where they come from. And they're, you know, they're basically, I call them baby boomer executives. And baby boomer executives in the NFL have been raised on John Unitas, Terry Bradshaw, Troy Aikman, you know, John Elway, these Dan Marino. These were the players that were either part of their formative experiences as youth in the football and then transitioned into the players that were important to them as they gained a foothold as a career as football men so they've been raised on the classic pocket passer who could move around and shake people off but was generally going to win with his arm arm first sometimes brain second you know sometimes we look at it from that standpoint and they you know they're looking at the safe what they think a safe quarterback prospect is and you know intuition creativity you know, the ability to kind of integrate all these skill sets, they lop that all off. They lob that all into a category called experience. They think that with experience comes savviness and that these intangible things, they may like intangibles, but they also know that with the analytic community that they've been criticized enough about what intangibles are. So they're just going to stick to things like the physical abilities and the you know the arm strength and basic technique as well as match to eye formation football and so when you look at josh allen he has a lot of those qualities and they see he's kind of like the 6'4 220 pound 4'3 wide receiver they project a lot onto that and and hope that the development will take place 
and then they also try to get into you know leadership character and 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 look into things like that and hope that they can project some level of development and they feel like that his tools are the safest yeah i mean i can understand it but you know and the thing is when you're drafting a quarterback at one everybody says go draft the top quarterback you know me personally i think josh rosen is the top quarterback but it's different with a situation like Cleveland because, look, it's a 1-31 in 31 team. You still have your head coach. It's a franchise that hasn't had a franchise quarterback in two decades. So it's so much more about finding the right guy. And this is actually the perfect year for them to do it because there's a couple of guys who could be figured for that spot. And I think at the end of the day, I understand why Sam... Darnold's name was the hot name for so long because I think Sam Darnold is kind of, you know, I want to use the phrase the good soldier. You know, like you can give him the, look, here's what's going on and Sam Darnold, no problem, I'm in, this type of thing. But, you know, and you look at the other aspect of it is, you know, with the coaching staff that's still here, which could easily be moved on from, you know, seven, eight, nine months from now, you know, is Josh Allen the guy that you can sell to a next coaching staff? Is it good for Josh Allen to come in here and work with one staff for seven, eight, nine months and then have to move on? So there's so many variables here with it that it, it gives me a lot of hesitation. And so I, I'm okay with the fact that Tyrod Taylor, for the most part, will be the 2018 quarterback. But I'm worried about basically hurting whatever guys drafted at one development if it's not the right guy who can totally buy into the situation he's going into. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this is really the, the thing about Cleveland is that it's, it's such a, it's such a scary looking proposition, whatever way that you cut it up, because you like the comfort of maybe Tyrod Taylor being there, but then you also wonder if the dysfunction from the past will bleed into the future or in the pre immediate present and where maybe Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor gets benched early on for the rookie and then Taylor doesn't feel like he wants to work or be the class act that some teams de demand someone to be and be a mentor to that player in the locker room. And even if he is a class act and does that, and I think he would be, but you know, the thing is, is that you're still creating a really awkward, difficult scenario. And then if the coach ends up getting fired, yeah, you put this quarterback through a very difficult learning curve. And then you're going to have to double down and give him a difficult learning curve yet again within the span of, you know, 18 months. And that's not an ideal development situation. And on top of that, yeah, the, the fact that Allen is a polarizing pick you know also makes it where if Allen struggles that may be some teams that look at it and go I don't want to take on that challenge some some coaches may not be as enthusiastic about not being able to pick their own guy at the most important position and this just again comes down to ownership and the fact that ownership gave a coach one more chance who seems to have one foot out the door just makes this a very dicey situation. It could work wonders and be very good. And, you know, maybe Hugh gets it together, this team gets it together, and everything's like a smooth-running machine, and that quarterback, whoever they draft, comes in there. But Allen is a guy who his biggest flaws are mental mistakes and emotional mistakes, where he, he gets into quicksand more than 
more often than what you'd expect from a first-round quarterback. And I think a lot of people say, well, you know, Josh Rosen gets into trouble and makes some really dumb throws. But there's a difference between a quarterback like Josh Rosen, who at the end of the game will try to make a, you know, a ballsy play to, to throw across his body and and throw an interception or throw the ball into thick of coverage in the red zone and say, well, that's just as dumb of a play as what some of the things that Josh Allen does. But then you got to realize, too, that the difference is, is that Josh Rosen often says, I know you can tell that Rosen knows what he's looking at and what the plan is, is and is trying to make something happen that was just immature, whereas where it looks like with Allen a lot of times – he should see things that he doesn't see and it all kind of falls apart on the premise that he doesn't really have an understanding or plan of what's in front of him before the play begins whereas with rosen it's more like i know what i'm doing and i'm taking that chance and i was wrong and i just wanted to take that chance whereas with alan if you asked him what he saw i would be willing to bet based on what i've studied on film that oftentimes he didn't realize that he should have looked at the backside of the formation first rather than the front side, and it all fell apart from there. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, because the, the other quarterbacks, whether it's Baker Mayfield, whether it's Sam Darnold, whether it's Josh Rosen, they can put together a 35 for 48 day for 350 to combat the fact that they may have thrown a pick six. And with Josh Allen, that's, that's the thing we haven't, been able to see and you know to project what a quarterback can do with anything and Aaron Nagler I know he's a big one on this always tell me what the guy can do you know don't ever project what he's gonna do tell me what he can do but guys you're listening to Locked on Browns episode 192 uh, guys whether it's uh, you know obviously if you're following through the megaphone app I do appreciate it iTunes Spotify go ahead do that five-star review Hit smash the living daylights out of that subscribe button, guys. I appreciate it. Um, Matt, here's another one that still doesn't seem to be going away. And it's not that I am a against Saquon Barkley. I think the problem is when you have a deep running back class, I feel that maybe you shouldn't start the run. And the other thing is what makes Saquon a very good back is the fact that he brings a lot to the table as a receiver. And we're talking about a team like Cleveland – and what the Browns have is a fantastic guy out of the backfield. And, Matt, if I'm going to give a, cap t- uh, a tip of the cap to a cane, <laughs> which is tough for me, which is tough. Mm-hmm. But Duke Johnson is phenomenal in his role. So Carlos Hyde was brought in. So I don't necessarily think that the need is that great. I do understand that maybe he will go top ten. But Saquon Barkley, Cleveland, it doesn't seem like a fit. No, it doesn't really because, I mean, it's a it's more of a what the fans would love to see, the average fan maybe, who wants to see that exciting splash as well as maybe what an owner might like to see as well, you know, because it would bring excitement to the stadium and hopefully sell tickets to see someone who's supposed to be a potential transcendent star. But there's some questions about whether he's going to be quite that good. I mean, he, I think it's it's enough to say that he has pro bowl back potential. I mean, to say that is about as good as you can really get. Everything else gets to the borders on hyperbole, no matter whether he makes that level or not. 
the thing is, is you look at Duke Johnson, and he is. He's a fantastic receiver. He's a smart runner between the tackles. There may be questions about him holding it up, but having Carlos Hyde in there is a very strong second, you know, as a, as a strong backfield mate. You're going to have a really nice committee right there because Carlos Hyde behind a good offensive line is a strong back. This is a good running back who's smart, and you saw him at Ohio State, Browns fans, so you you know what I'm talking about there. You got under, you know, this is not a player that, you know, belongs on a bench most of the time. He's a guy that belongs in that lineup, and he's an underrated receiver in his own right. So when you look at what the Browns do, the, the only thing that you could see is that, well, yes, yeah, Saquon Barkley might be a great match for what Tarleton Todd Gurley does. He runs a lot of fullback lead. He runs a lot of, you know, 50-50 gap zone type of proposition or close to that. And you see a lot of counter plays and, um, you know, duo. And you can see where with a guy like Barkley, who's got really strong burst, that's a good match for a gap style scheme. So, you know, you can see how that might be a great fit along with the passing game. You can consolidate what you're doing with your running back play, but why make the moves you did if you, you know, to to take Barkley at this point? It doesn't make sense. Maybe pick a later round back who might supplement one of these other two backs or be able to some, be a consolidating factor. I would say a guy like Justin Jackson could, you know, who reminds me of a Jamal Charles style of player could kind of fit both roles. And Todd Haley knew how to work with you know Jamal Charles because that's who he coached early on in his career at Kansas City and and Jackson fits that kind of realm and you can get him much later and he's an explosive player who plays better between the tackles so Barkley to me doesn't make a lot of sense there either Um, and while he could be really a terrific player for the Browns the Browns need more and they can get a better value later in what might be the best running back class I've studied in 13 years. Well, guys, if Matt Waldman is saying that, that's something you should probably put some lip service to. Um, Matt, here was something, actually. Uh, it came up to you today, and I and you kind of gave me the alley-oop to it. So we're going to bring this up here. Um, and uh, guy's name is Michael, Twitter handle. Obviously, it's hard to answer in this abstract. But do you have any specific suggestions to improve personality or character evaluation of draft prospects? Because this is probably the toughest part of it. Because, like, anything that we get to know, it's probably more and tenfold than we actually do get to hear. I mean, you know, a prime example was Antonio Callaway. We knew everything we knew. And then apparently he went to the combine. It got a little worse. Uh, Apparently, you know, Tony Pauline suggested that maybe it's even deeper than that. But how do we handle guys with this type of baggage yeah and i think the first thing it has to kind of start from the beginning is how do we really evaluate character in the first place and how do we how does an how does a team go about doing it and i've talked with some people who've you know worked closely you know either in it or in it in a certain capacity and with numerous teams and what I found is that there are kind of two broad, you know, spectrums of how teams handle character. One of them is that, you know, they have their scouts investigate 
you know, character, you know, early on by going to visit, and they usually visit with the recruiting coordinators and ask the coordinators and the coaches and other teammates of that player, what's this guy like? Does he go out? Does he do this thing? Is he in trouble? Does he have issues? How's his schooling? What's he like on the practice field? How does he work? How does he respond to coaching? And you get all of these different types of questions on that level, and then they fill out a report, and when they fill out that report, Oftentimes, they then are allowed to kind of editorialize and make a conclusion about that player. The other half of teams, or whatever percentage of teams do it a different way, they tend to have a security specialist on staff, a former police officer, someone in law enforcement who has a specialization in this, maybe even somebody with an industrial psychology background, somebody who who can really parse out information and also help guide scouts or different people and personnel to ask to know what types of questions to ask if they don't have investigators going out there themselves to kind of ask some of these questions in different ways because after all most of these scouts i mean there's some old grizzled guys who are out there who've been doing it for many years but they were they spent most of their years evaluating tape more and more we're seeing these guys as information collectors who are out there to kind of investigate more off the field than actually study the game on the field. And so as a result, there's a little bit of a misuse of time. And then on top of it, if we're still to be, say that most of these scouts are 22 to 28, 30 years old and making, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 grand a year, and they're just glorified data collectors, and you're giving them permission to... Um, editorialize or make a a judgment call based on what they've investigated you're basically you know no offense to those of you who are that age you, you know but i remember what i was like at that age and even when you're given that responsibility you've had no serious leadership experience very few of you have and you know at that point expecting someone who's had very little leadership or life experience on these levels making these calls and editorializing this way you're gonna get a lot of things wrong and you're gonna wind up with some really bad judgments about individuals that may be very inaccurate and an example of this i've talked about before but it's like you know you can have with group a the group that gives these scouts that experience they can go and decide that they're going to go to a bar that they heard from the recruiting coordinator that this kid frequents and ask around and you know ask the waitresses and the bartender so have you seen this guy showing a picture of him do you you know who this is or like yeah do you see him here yeah he's here every night or at least like five nights a week when they're in town yeah really he's here all the time yeah and so okay well um, is he here with anybody else? Yeah, they're with these guys. They're dressed like this. They look like this. They wear this kind of jewelry. They do this kind of thing. And those are the questions he asks. He writes down in his report, kid loves to party. Kid loves the nightlife too much. You know, he's a big concern. Group B might have someone coach them to say, when you go to these clubs, I want you to ask these following questions. Do, how often does he show up? Who does he show up with? What do they dress like? What do they look like? Does he drink? Does he bring out, you know, how long is he there for typically? Has he ever gotten into a fight? Has he ever had any, you know, issues with your club? And what you may find out is the same kid shows up every night 
or most nights of the week, spends about 45 minutes there, only drinks water, only brings his own water bottle, hangs out with his friends, talks to some women, and then leaves after 45 minutes and has and he does that pretty much you know four nights a week and it's not even like 10 o'clock by the time he's left and you and you have two totally different pieces of information there the first group was like he's a partier the second group doesn't even make the decision they just take the details take it to the security guy the security guy looks at all of this report information and determines this kid's not a problem because i'm I'm parsing it out with other information we got from other interviews, and he's not remotely a partier. He's a serious guy who just likes to socialize every once in a while with his buddies and and get out of the get out of the house and get out of the the training room. And this is how he does that. And teams literally make those mistakes because they don't have the right structure or the right leadership or people involved, and they're misdirecting resources. So, the way I would start is I'd get make sure I'd get an industrial psychologist on staff who knows how to ask good questions instead of doing the shock and awe about, you know, is your mother a prostitute questions or are you gay questions no, instead exactly. being – yeah, exactly. You know, you don't have to ask those questions. You can ask other questions and get the same – and, and ask them in a way to see if a person would be rattled and they can be questions that wouldn't get you sued or wouldn't risk your team having to feel you know, your teammates going that's wrong or a prospect having to challenge the NFL system and put them in a really awkward, dumb situation where somebody's going to be brave enough to go, you know what, I could have been a great football player, but the NFL is whacked out with the way they're doing this and I'm going to sue them to the point that I'm going to make my money without ever having to deal with a concussion or a leg injury or anything else and pave the way for other guys that don't have to have their mama insulted or anything else insulted you know, in a way that's just wrong to do. And so the NFL could cover its own hind parts by doing this more effectively if they didn't have the arrogance to think that they figured all this out. And part of that is hiring people from the outside. And some of them have done this. Like there's that Robert Klemko Baker Mayfield test that you know they talked about that they filled out a tester in the combine that was like kind of a culturally unbiased test to look at intelligence and different things so they're doing some of that stuff but they've got to ramp it up faster they've got to get more aligned in terms of how to ask questions who's going to be making the judgment calls and let it be people who are experts and then filter that down and give it to the gm rather than making the gm editorial you know GM make those calls or the owner make those calls or the or the um, coaches or scouts make those calls because that's not their job. That's not their expertise. It's somebody else's. Let them say, you can collect the data for me, but I'm going to prescribe how we do it. And that's where I would start. Well, the biggest part of it is, is and this is the problem with every, I don't want to say every, but almost every NFL front office system is is you have guys that are just so set in their ways, and when we're talking about guys, you know, in their 60s, they haven't adapted to what life is in 2018. Um, and it, it, as far as you saying that some guys just went out for the sake of going out to, you know, blow off a little steam, you know, I ha you know, there were plenty of guys, and you know, I played with plenty of guys in college. Look, I was one of those guys who went out a lot, and I went out to have a good time. But, you know, there were plenty of my teammates who were out there to maybe, you know, maybe find a date for the evening. But they're, you know, never touched a drop of alcohol. 
Or, right. or the fact that the club served free food from 9.30 to 11 o'clock. We were college <laughs> kids. We were starving anywhere, you know, because you can't take that dining hall dining hall food home with you. They were starving. So if there was a chance, look, five bucks, if I can eat 15 chicken wings and some chicken crispers and a couple of rolls, I'm taking the free food for five bucks. It's it just, you know, there's just so much more in, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have you know, guys in their late 60s making brash opinions off of little information. And the worst part is, is information that they're being fed, being, you know, given second and third hand, which is, it's just terrible in the way that it does. And some guys get brandished. But uh, we're going to go to some uh, day three treats here from Matt in a second. But guys, uh, Locked On Cavs, Chris Manning's doing a fantastic job over there. Uh, look, uh, down 1-0 for all my Cleveland fans. Look, I understand. Relax, relax. Follow, follow Chris, listen to the show, see what he's got to tell you. I think everything's going to be right for this first-round playoffs. But, Matt, uh, as we go on here, give me some day three guys. I mean, offensive skill guys, there's a lot here. First off, give me an Antonio Callaway. Here's a guy I think would have been one of the top wide receivers in this class, even with his baggage, if we had gotten some tape on him this year. But obviously a lost year for him. This is where he's at now. But a guy like Callaway and some other guys you're looking forward to on day three. Yeah, I mean, I like Richie James an awful lot. I think oh, that, yeah. you know, out of, out of Middle Tennessee State, if you, you know, it's never something that you want to take literally as a comparison. But when you look at how he was used, he was used both as a, as a receiver from the slot, occasionally outside, and often used in the backfield as a runner on, you know, direct snaps or jet sweeps, and he got a lot of yardage as a runner, at least for, you know, one year that he was doing it. And he's very quick. He's skilled at winning the ball in the air and doing it against tight coverage. So he's got a physicality to him. And he reminds, if you look at his, like, look at his metrics for the combine and you look at his height and weight and the way that he was used Antonio Brown was used that way Antonio Brown was that size and Antonio Brown you know and Richie James have similar workout metrics now Antonio Brown worked his tail off and knew how to work to become a complete receiver and arguably the best receiver in the game um so when you look at James, he has a good ways to go in that regard, but you can see the versatility that could come into play. And the fact that Todd Gurley, I mean, Todd, <laughs> the fact that Todd Haley would like to be able to, you know, uses a lot of 11 personnel, a lot of 22 personnel or 12 personnel. Um, you know, the 11 personnel is like his heaviest base formation. So that's a three receiver set. You could see how James could deliver that kind of versatility and threat as a possible runner and also a slot guy. So I like him. Um, you know, Kiki QT would be another player in that, that realm all out of Texas team. tech. Yeah. Yeah. All name team really blazing fast. Great. After the catch, he's worked with a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes who, you know, created a lot on broken plays. So he's used to finding open spots in the middle of the field and making difficult plays in that regard. Now, if you want more of a guy who can help on special teams and develop into a maybe a reasonable wide receiver, too, who can be physical as a good blocker, but also someone who can win the ball in the air on fade routes and win after the catch, 
my guy Stephen Dunbar out of Houston is a guy that I've, I've really been touting as a late day three guy. He might be available after the draft, but he's someone that you know he's a very smart, hardworking player who has earned his share of separation with good quickness. And he's about six three two ten. So I, I see him as kind of that Alan Hearns type of guy who can deliver for you, um, you know, as a tough player in the middle of the field but also at the boundary and and give you either you know a big slot or outside kind of looks so you know there's that dylan cantrell as a as a big receiver with good great short area quickness who wins the ball in the air very well and and is a very good red zone option who who also played a little h back at texas tech and is a pretty good blocker for a big receiver and you could see how maybe they might cheat with him as a 22 personnel guy occasionally so that he could get matched up with linebackers and just completely whip them with his quickness on these short routes. And he's an absolute con man when he runs those routes. Nice. Uh, now, if they don't go running back round one, if they don't go running back round two, it's going to drop them to day three. That's where the rest of their picks are. A couple of guys, Matt? Yeah, I mean, what if Royce Freeman fell that far? I don't know if he will, but it, for some reason he does. His stocks are all over the map. Right? So here's a guy that kind of has that Corey Dillon, you know, size. He's very quick. He's got great feet. He's He has a little work to do as a blocker, um, but he's someone that reminds me of a better version of Carlos Hyde. And why not put him on the same team with Carlos Hyde and let him compete a little bit? So I like him if you're looking for a bigger back and who might drop that early. Now, if you know, Nick Chubb fell there just because they might have been worried about the injury, then you take the best back in the draft, in my opinion. Then, you know, we, but I've talked about him ad nauseum. So, and, you know, other backs that I think are worthwhile, you know, I talked about Justin Jackson earlier. This is a guy who I, I just think that. You know, he's able to initiate first contact much like Jamal um, Charles did and then be able to spin or work off of that. So he understands how to use his body to be physical without even though he's not strong, he understands functional power and he can catch the ball. He's toted the ball. You know, he's touched the ball 1,284 times in his career and has stayed healthy. So even though his size is maybe an issue being at about 199, just like Jamal Charles was a you know around that range, he stayed healthy, toed in the rock, and he has a great ball security track record on top of that. So that's a guy that I really like. Then you could look at maybe more bangers like you know what if Bo Scarborough falls that far? He's not you know he may not be you know an absolute um, every down back in every situation, but he can press and cut. And he'd be very good in a in a in a gap style scheme or scheme that runs a lot of gap because he can hit a crease fast and he's a powerful guy who knows how to use his frame well. And then I'll, I'll add one more guy, kind of, you know, or two guys, kind of late, you know, late late maybe even undrafted, a guy like Boston Scott out of Louisiana Tech, who's five six two oh three. So he's he's kind of a he's short. He's not small, and he can pass protect. He can take on linebackers and cornerbacks and work in the middle of the field as well as on the edges as a pass protector. He is someone with incredible quickness, 
cutting ability, and he doesn't have great power, but he has a great balance to bounce off contact. So he might be an intriguing guy. And then a guy that I just think is a really smooth runner who who has great vision, and he doesn't have great speed. He's like a 4-7 back, but he's got excellent quickness, and he reminds me of kind of a mix of Arian Foster, who was a slow back in his own right, but very quick, and Matt Forte, and that's Jordan Wilkins of Ole Miss. If he can learn to... Well, let's say this. He knows how to pass protect. The question is whether he chooses to do so all the time. And if he if he decides that okay, it's Sunday, I'm getting paid, and I'm going to do this, and he and he and he doesn't have any lapses, and he's a he's a professional about it. He's one of the most polished runners in this draft class with good power, quickness, great vision. He really understands how to set up blocks, both zone and gap, and he could be a, a, a real value late in the draft. All right, guys, Matt's giving you some great guys. Matt, uh, what's in store for you between now and the three-day bonanza that is April 26th, 27th, 28th? Anything else I should be looking out for? Well, you know, right now I'm just getting ready for the RSP post-draft. So if you're a fantasy owner, one week after the NFL draft, I come out with an analysis that gives you a cheat sheet that shows you where I'm ranking these guys based on where they've landed and then giving you kind of a sweet spot based on where they're being drafted in fantasy leagues versus my rankings so that you know how to get the best value out of them. And then just kind of giving you another, you know, 200 pages worth of analysis about who had good fits and what the depth charts look like and, you know, who I thought's overrated or underrated now based on where they're landing so that for the next year to two, year or two you get a chance to really maximize your value with these players in this draft and that's part of the rsp package so you know three three four years from now if any of these players change teams or they've never gotten opportunity and now they are you can look at that pre-draft again and and get really basically what i saw in them and it adds that value for teams on the way you know players on the waiver wire as well as late in drafts and even redraft leagues so that's what i'll be getting ready for working on some players that i haven't evaluated for the pre-draft getting ready for the post-draft so watching more of them all right guys uh obviously check out matt's work it's phenomenal so the rsp guys trust me it's something you do not want it's something you need every everybody who's doing or listening to these podcasts you play fantasy so trust me, you need Matt's work. Uh, check out him and the football guy. At, you know the football guys. They'll probably be doing something draft wise. Definitely put your ears to that. It'll be some great, phenomenal work. Uh, follow Matt Waldman, obviously, guys. Follow the show at Locked On Browns. You guys are doing a fantastic job helping me out here, putting out great shows weekly. I'm sorry, daily, four to five a week. Um, <clears throat> go ahead. We want to get that account. Hopefully, the 2,000 followers by the draft here. We do it as a follow back account. You guys are fantastic with that. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, guys, we got a lot more coming. I've, I've got some great guests lined up here. We're going to get all of them in here. Even if i got to do some mini shows, we'll get them all in here before the 26th. I appreciate you guys so much for your support, your listenership. Go ahead, subscribe, follow uh, for LOB. We'll check you out tomorrow. Let's go Browns. <laughs>